This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, we started at, our, at the beginning of, of January. We began a new series from the Sermon on the Mount. It's called A New Way of Life. So the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5 through 7. And uh, we have come to chapter 5 and verse 17 uh, today. So we're talking about straight to the, the heart. If you're used to using your bulletin, the back of your bulletin for your notes, uh, you're going to have to invent your own today. I just noticed a second ago there was a mistake made, and that's actually next week's sermon that's on your the back of your bulletin today. Somebody got a little bit ahead, um, and so that's okay. You, you do have the notes for next week already, and they'll be in there next week too, but uh, the screen will be right uh, today, so just go by the screen, and you can kind of create your own notes as you, you, you go along. But Jesus t- is taking us here straight to the heart. He's talking about transformation of the heart. In Matthew 5 and verses 17 through 30, let's look at God's word together. I'm going to ask you to stand as we look at it together. Matthew 5 and beginning with verse 17, Jesus says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you were offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out out of there until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You can be seated. So, Father, as we uh, come now to uh, a, a sobering passage in, in many ways, uh, given the reality of, of sin and uh, the sin nature 
that, that all of us have in our, in our hearts. Um, Lord, it's, it, it's sobering, but yet it's also um, encouraging to, to know that if we are in Christ, first of all, that we, we, have, a, we have a Savior, that you not only give saving grace, but that you also give sanctifying grace that your spirit is in the process of transforming us from the inside out. Not, not just externals, but, but internally that your spirit is doing a work of, of transformation. And so Lord, teach us more today about what that looks like, that we might better be the people uh, that you have called us to be, living a new way of life that reflects who Jesus is. And we pray it in his name. Amen. I recently was reading, reading about a, a, a chain store that's caught on in Asia. And it's a store that's seen in lots of shopping malls and, and stuff uh, kind of throughout the, the, the pack rim and, and Asia. It's actually based in, in Singapore. But the, the, the store basically specializes in little knickknacks and stuff like that. And they, they, they have like sort of these little heartwarming, sentimental sayings. Uh, on them, and the name of this chain store is Precious Thoughts. <laughs> precious Thoughts. You know, sometimes we can reduce the Bible to a bunch of precious thoughts, and we do that when we sort of uh, isolate scriptures and divorce them from their, their original context, and we're not really seeing the whole and I don't want you to misunderstand me because I believe in things like scripture memory. In fact, I deeply, deeply believe in, in scripture memory. But what makes scripture memory so much more powerful is when you understand the surrounding context of that scripture. For instance, we often hear about Philippians 4.13, great verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what makes that infinitely more powerful is when you understand the, the context of that verse, which is often put to memory, but the context of it is about contentment. Paul is saying that, that because of Christ, through Christ, I've learned how to be content in any and every situation. How much, how much more powerful is, does that make Philippians 4.13? See, when we understand the, the whole the reason I'm bringing this up is because we're, we're talking today at the beginning of this passage about Jesus' view of Scripture. And it's very clear that Jesus had memorized tons of scriptures. But what's also clear is that, that Jesus had read books of Scripture and he, he knew the whole of Scripture. And that's where we begin because we're, we're seeing here how Jesus views the, the whole of, of Scripture. Um, notice what he says here in, in verses uh, 17 and 18 at the beginning of our, of our text. So Jesus says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. 
So when Jesus talks about the law and the prophets, he's talking about the whole Old Testament. And what he's saying here is that rather than coming to abolish the Old Testament, Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says Jesus does not conceive of his life and ministry in terms of opposition to the Old Testament, but in terms of bringing to fruition that toward which it, it points. Now, this is huge for us to understand, if we're, especially if we're going to understand the Old Testament. If we're going to understand it, or if we're going to teach the Old Testament, we, we need to understand that, that the Old Testament is brought to fruition in Jesus. And so what that means is that when we're studying the Old Testament, or teachers, when you're teaching a passage from the Old Testament, one of the questions that we need to ask is, how does this story in the Old Testament fit into the story, the the Bible's big picture story of redemption in Christ? And it's not just that we should look for Jesus in, in prophecies of the Old Testament that explicitly are about Christ, like Isaiah 53, for instance. It's every passage in the Old Testament. In every Old Testament passage, we need to be asking, okay, how is this brought to fruition in Jesus? That changes the way that we, that we view the Old Testament. I, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible because it does such a great job of this. Uh, parents, this is a great book for you to read to kids, grandparents. Wonderful, wonderful resource to read to your grandchildren because Sally Lloyd-Jones just does such a great job of showing how every story in the Bible points to Jesus, brought to fruition in Christ. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we tend to think of the Pharisees as the bad guys of the Gospels because of their opposition to Jesus. But what we need to understand is that the people that were listening to Jesus teach on the hillside that day most certainly did not think of the Pharisees as the bad guys. They thought of the the scribes and the Pharisees as the highest examples of righteousness imaginable. And yet Jesus says that unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you will never see heaven. Now, (laughs) that got the people on that hillside to stand up and take notice, and we ought to stand up and take notice when Jesus says that. So what's he talking about here? Well, what Jesus is going to show us is that the reality of a relationship with, with God is seen in heart transformation. The transformation of the heart. Jesus is going straight to the heart. 
And so for the rest of chapter 5, what Jesus is doing is he's going to give us six examples of that. And we're going to look at a couple of them today, and then we'll look at four of them next Sunday. First of all, dealing with a heart of anger. Dealing with a heart of anger. And we see that in verses 21 through 26. Let's look first of all at verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. So Jesus here is quoting from the Ten Commandments. This is the sixth commandment, do not murder. Sometimes in in the old King James, you'll hear thou shalt not kill, but more accurately, it's, it's you shall not murder. But God's intent all along was, was not simply that we would refrain from murdering one another. God's intent was that, that what causes murder, which is anger in the heart, would be dealt with. And this is not just a New Testament thing. This is taught in the, in the Old Testament as well. Just one of many scriptures that deals with this is Psalm 37, 8, which says, Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. The Old Testament is filled with passages like this, but the Pharisees and the scribes weren't teaching that. And so, you know, people had the impression, well, hey, as long as I don't get to the point of spilling blood then, you know, my heart can just be filled with all kinds of, 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 of rage and, and anger. Well, that's not the idea. <laughs> that was not God's intent at all of his, of his, of his law. Um, look at verse 22. Jesus says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Now, the brothers and sisters that Jesus is talking about here are your spiritual brothers and sisters. Not just biological brothers and sisters, but, your, but, but the family of, of God. He's not saying here that it's okay to be you know, filled with ungodly anger towards those who are outside of the family of God. But he's saying that, that especially when it comes to your brothers and sisters in Christ, the one thing that all of us have in common as believers is that we have been spared from the wrath of God. Why? Because we have a Savior who took God's righteous wrath against sin in our place on the cross. And so we are a community of brothers and sisters who have been been spared from the, the, the wrath of God. We should not be wrathful toward one another. And so, we should not have ungodly anger towards anyone, but especially towards you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the words here in verse 22 are interesting. When Jesus talks about insulting people, uh, that's uh, raka, which means kind of empty head. 
you empty head. And then the word fool is moros, which is where we get the English word moron. You ever called anybody an empty-headed moron? You know, the, the truth of the matter is that we probably call people worse than that. Well, does that mean we're going to hell? Jesus here talks about hellfire. Well, he's not, he's not saying that, uh, that we're going we're gonna to go to hell because we've, you know, at some point uh, insulted someone in anger. But what he is saying is this. Jesus is saying here that if, if your heart is, is perpetually filled with rage and anger... That's not, an, that's not an indication of a redeemed heart. A, a heart that is just perpetually, kind of continually just filled, you know, with, with, with ungodly anger, that's, that's not a heart where the Holy Spirit is, is, is dwelling. That's... That's a heart that needs to, that hasn't really internalized the, the the gospel. It's someone who is 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 not is not saved. Because when we truly understand the gospel, then then that that tenderizes our heart towards other people. When we understand, when you truly understand that you have been spared from God's righteous wrath because of what Christ has done for you then what that begins to do is to enable you not to be filled with, with anger and wrath towards other people. Ephesians 4 and verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Look at verses 23 through 26. Jesus says, so if you were offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, then come and offer your, your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. The point that Jesus is making here is that it is in your best interest in all kinds of ways to deal with anger quickly, to not allow it to settle and and metastasize in your heart. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't internalize. Don't, don't allow this to grow and, you know, and, and fester in your heart. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity And when we allow anger to settle in and metastasize in our heart, we are giving the devil all kinds of opportunities. We are living in angry culture today. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but but the world is getting more and more angry. I mean, there's road rage, there's social media rage, there's just turn on the TV, there's just, there's constant political rage and just people just at, at coming at one another. We, we live in a culture that is very, very angry. 
And, and in the midst of this angry culture, we have the opportunity, as Philippians 2.15 says, to shine out like stars against the blackness of night by not being that way, by not being that, that kind of an angry person. Is there never a time for anger? Of course there is. Of course there is. If we're not angry at things like injustice and you know, cruelty and things like that and you know, seeing people kind of being taken advantage of and things like that, uh, you know, then something's wrong with us. Of course, of course there's a time for righteous anger. And God's anger is always perfectly righteous. Our, our anger is rarely perfectly righteous. <laughs> Most of the time, our anger is not righteous anger. Most of the time, our anger is about our pride or our ego being wounded or some personal, feeling some personal slight and, you know, getting angry about that. And, and that, that's ungodly anger. And the Bible is clear about what we're to do with that. Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, I want to give you five applications for dealing with anger. Five applications for dealing with anger. Anger. First of all, be humble about your own sins. Be humble about your own sins. Think of how much God has forgiven you. Think about how much God has forgiven you. How, how God has treated you. How patient he has been with you. And, and, and where you would be if he had not been that way with you. It, it'll help you in dealing with others. Second, and this goes along with that, meditate on the gospel. Meditate on the gospel. Instead of giving us the righteous wrath that we deserve because of our sin, what did, what did God give for us? He gave his son for us. He didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us Jesus. Third, pray about your anger. Pray about your anger. Bring this before the Lord. Ask for him to, to transform your heart. Um, meditate on scriptures about the subject like the ones that we've covered today. Fourth, pursue reconciliation with people. Pursue reconciliation with people. This will be hard work sometimes painful work, but so worth it, so worth it. And then finally, recognize that you may need others to help you. You know the reason for this? Because a lot of times we don't even understand our own heart. A lot of times we're carrying around junk in our hearts that we're not even, we're not even aware of. 
And so what happens is we, we kind of, we find ourselves exploding at other people and going off on other people and just, just we, the, the anger starts coming out and we don't even know where it comes from because it's just stuff that's, 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 that's buried within us. And, and in those cases, a lot of times we need other people to help us to kind of understand what that is and to discern that and draw it out. That's why we need brothers and sisters in Christ that we're in, 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 in relationships with, where we're helping one another grow in Christ and we can help one another understand the, our blind spots and understand maybe things that are going on deep within our heart. It's, it's also why a lot of times if a Christian counselor can help to draw those things out and can help to help you to see things that you're carrying around that may be really deep down that are, you know, kind of, there's, there's stuff that you just, you don't understand and you need a third party to help you under, help somebody else to help you understand it. And so sometimes a Christian counselor can really, can really help with this. So dealing with a heart of anger. Second, Jesus talks about dealing with a heart of lust in verses 27 through 30. Let's look first of all at verse 27. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Now, once again, he's quoting from the Ten Commandments, in this case, the Seventh Commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were certainly against adultery. In fact, they would have, they would have people stoned sometimes for adultery. But, but what if... But what Jesus is going to tell us is that God is concerned with more than just the the act of adultery. He's concerned with the heart that produces that act. And so Jesus says in verse 28, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Because again, God's intent was not simply that people would refrain from the act of adultery. You could, you could refrain from the act of adultery and your heart could still be an absolute cesspool of lust. <laughs> That's not the idea. And so to deal with that, we have to, again, go to the heart where is, where is adultery coming from? The same place that murder is coming from. It's coming from the heart. Anger and lust emerge from the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. All these things are coming from the heart. And so Jesus goes straight to the heart because God's intent, the intent of his law was not simply that people would refrain from the act of adultery, but that we would have purity of heart. Didn't we see this in the Beatitudes? What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 8? Blessed are the 
pure in heart, for they will see God. Now again, let's, let's go back to verse 28 again. Jesus says, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Notice here that, that Jesus is really um, addressing, he's, he's addressing men here. That doesn't mean it's okay for women to lust. Obviously, it's sin for anyone to, to lust. But, but Jesus here is, is especially talking to men because he's talking about looking, sinning with your eyes. That's something that men tend to have more trouble with than women. The word, the word looks here, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, the word look there means to, you know, to, to leer, to, uh, to, 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 to stare. And guys, do you, do you understand, you know, what, what you're doing when you look at a woman that way? You, you are turning a person who was created in the image of God into an object of lust. And on top of that, you are objectifying one of God's own daughters, which is a really sobering thought. We are living in a pornographic culture today in America. The, the easy access to pornography has been one of the greatest tools in Satan's ch- uh, war chest. Um, it, it, is, it is absolutely epidemic. Some of you sitting in this room are fighting this battle, and the reason that I know that is because of the numbers of people that are here in this room. <laughs> And the statistics would, this has become such an epidemic that, you know, in any group of people this size, um, there, there are going to be those that are, are fighting this battle with, with porn. So how do we battle this? How do we fight this battle? Jesus tells us, verses 29 and 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, Jesus here obviously is using hyperbole. Right? It's like super, super exaggerated language to convey a point. It's not, it's not advocating self-mutilation here. But, but he's using hyperbolic language to, to, to make the point that the way that we fight this battle is ruthlessly ruthlessly Jesus is saying this is lust in your heart is a matter of urgency and you are to fight this battle with just a sense of of ruthlessness that's what he means by the kind of the graphic language that he's that he's using here we're, we're to we're to we're to kill it 
kill it, put it to death. Colossians 3, 5. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. You know, Jesus, in, in verses 29 and, and 30, talks a lot about, about hell. Mentions it in verses 29 and 30. Is he saying here that, you know, if we've ever lusted, then that we're, we're, we're going to hell? It's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that if, 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 if this is not something that you feel convicted about and something that you are seeking to battle against, that is an indication that you have, you have never been redeemed. In other words, if you've got sin in your heart and you don't care about it, you don't care, you're not, you're not battling that, you're not seeking to put it to death, like what does that say? What does that say? It says that you're probably not saved because saved people hate their sin. That doesn't mean that they're always successful in the battle against their sin, right? We're, 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 sometimes we're fumbling, stumbling, and we, you know, we fall on our face, and it's, you know, uh, it's a step back, and we have to get up, and we repent, we move forward. Okay, that's part, that's, that's part of the Christian life, right? But, but if, if you're not battling, if you don't care about your sin, if you don't mourn your sin and you don't hate your sin and you're not battling sin, that, that's an indication that you probably don't know the Savior. Because when we know Christ, we're not at peace with sin in our heart. We hate sin and we're, at, we're making war on our sin. We're fighting the battle. We're fighting the good fight. So... How do we do that? I want to I give you today, and um, I'm thankful to John Piper uh, for, uh, for, this, for this, a two-part battle strategy for dealing with lust. A two-part battle strategy for dealing with lust. The first part of that strategy is resistance. Resistance. Think about what it takes to get physically fit. Part of getting physically fit is resistance. You lift muscles and lift, lift weights, and the resistance against the muscle is what produces strength. Or even if you're doing cardio or something you know that you there when you first start doing it especially there's a lot of resistance and you know you're you're aching and there's there's pain in your legs and you're and you're out of breath but you 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 fight you fight through that that's all that's part of how we get in shape is is, is, is resistance, right? We, we subject our bodies, we subject our muscles to resistance in order to get stronger. So part of the way that we battle this is with lots of resistance. James 4, 7, therefore sub, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In other words, push back hard, 
hard, push back, resist. Lust, battle, that's what it's saying here, right? And so part of that is making a plan for resistance. It means thinking, thinking through. Men, this means thinking through. When are you most subject to the temptation of lust? Is it, uh, it, does it involve a computer? Does it involve a tablet? Does it involve your phone? Okay, then you have to change your habits of the way that you, you deal with that. Don't, you know, the, if it's certain times of day that you're more subject to lust, then you've got to get a plan of attack and think through, okay, how am I going to change my habits so that I'm not giving the devil an opportunity in this area? If you're more tempted in times when you're in downtime, when you're idle, then then you got to think through, okay, how am I going to use that downtime so that I'm not, I'm not putting myself as much in the path of temptation. Part of resistance is making a plan of resistance, okay? So that's part of the strategy is resistance. The second part is reception, reception, how else, what's the other thing that you do to get physically fit besides lifting weights and, you know, getting cardio in and all that? What's the other part of getting in shape other than resistance? It's reception. You take in, you receive good food, healthy food. You receive the proper amount of sleep and rest that's part of our strategy here for, for against lust, right? James one twenty one. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly what receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So, part of the strategy is not just resistance and turning away from evil. It's turning to the good and receiving good things, God's word into our lives, right? Uh, Taking in that which is healthy, taking in more of the word of God. The word is the sword of the spirit. God's spirit works through his word to kill sin. So it's, it's, it's taking in the the word of God more and more into our our lives. Resistance and reception. And understand that in this battle that you're not alone. We that's why he gives us he gives us other people. Right? There's there's parts of growth in Christ that we we don't get just on our own. We need a church family. We need brothers and sisters in Christ. Men, you need other brothers in Christ that can help to hold you accountable, that you're in close relationship with, brothers that are close enough to you to where you can confess your sins to one another. And you can help one another. You trust one another and you can be open and honest with one another and you're able to confess sin. And listen, sin is a plant that grows best in the dark. It, It seems to prosper in secret. A lot of times when, we, when we're able just to confess our sin openly to a trusted brother or women, to a trusted sister in Christ, it just seems to be, it just loses part of its grip 
on your life. So we, we, need, we need one another um, in this battle. That's why we have a church family. And second, you need to understand that, that you belong to the Lord. You are not a slave to sin anymore. Read Romans 6. You're not a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter of the living God. You have the Holy Spirit of God within you working in your life to transform your heart for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for uh, the good news that, um, that we are not alone. Uh, Father, I pray for anyone here who, who, doesn't, who doesn't know Christ and um, doesn't have the Holy Spirit uh, to, to do a transforming work on, on the heart. Uh, Father, I pray that, um, that you would grant repentance and, and faith today. Lord, that you would open the eyes of hearts today to, to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus and to trust in the finished work that has been accomplished through the cross and the resurrection of the Savior. Lord, we pray that you would help us as, as believers never to make peace with sin in our hearts, Lord, uh, but to day by day seek to monitor the condition of our hearts that we can be the, the, the God-glorifying people that you have called us to be. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. 
tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.